Hey, listen, today is going to be different. We're changing the format, and I'm telling you that up front because people struggle with change. (laughs) And, you know, usually we have the opening video, and then our worship leader leads us in some time of singing, and then we have the teaching, and then we have the response. We're not doing it that way today. It's all going to be mixed together. Uh, Here's the thing. A lot of people feel like they're failures with prayer. And today, the whole morning is called winning with prayer. And so we're going to talk about some different ways to pray, some different strategies for prayer, some different models for prayer. And we're going to stop, we're going to teach, we're going to practice it, we're going to worship the Lord, then we're going to learn a new one, and then we're going to practice it, and then we're going to worship the Lord. So the format today is going to be all different, but may I, may I just say this, we're still going to worship the Lord. We're still going to come into his presence and seek the presence of God. And so this morning we're going to talk theologically about prayer and about how our prayer life is forever tied to the person of Jesus. And then we're going to talk about strategies for prayer. But before we do that, let's get ready for that this morning. I know I've changed it up on you this morning. And I know that you come in from a lot of different things. Some things are stressful in your life. Some things are difficult for you to process. Some things are tempting you to focus on them instead of focusing on the Lord. For those of you who are joining us online, the same is true for you. And so I just want for us to take a chance to bow our heads and close our eyes and exhale and just intentionally come into the presence of God today. So would you do that? Would you bow with me? And would you just take 20 seconds, 30 seconds to focus yourself on this morning and to pivot your attention from important things in your life to Jesus, the author and perfecter and finisher of our faith. Take a moment, would you? Fix your eyes on the Lord. Fix your mind your heart those of you who are online transform your living room into a prayer altar this morning Lord we are excited for the journey this morning winning with prayer We begin by saying, collectively, we are all over the place as it relates to prayer. But we love you. We want to seek you this morning, Lord. We want to worship you. We want to anchor our thinking in the word of God because we trust it. And so we trust that you'll meet us here. We pray for you to meet us here. You're an awesome God. We desperately need you. We thank you for meeting with us. And we lift up our needs to you right now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Listen, I don't want for us to feel like we fail with prayer. And oftentimes, when we, when we don't feel like we're good at praying, then we feel like that must mean that we don't have a lot of faith. And so I want to dispel that myth right from the beginning. I want you to understand that if you struggle with praying, it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't love God. Just like if you struggle communicating with someone in your life that you love, doesn't mean you don't love them. Doesn't mean that you don't deeply and passionately want to have a strong, meaningful relationship with them. It just means that you have to learn to communicate better. You see, if, if, if praying, the ability to pray was the mark of whether or not we have faith, then two things would be true. Number one, we would be saved by works. And we know that that's not true. Our salvation is by grace through faith. We're not saved by prayer. We're saved by grace. But it would also mean that my inability to communicate sometimes what I want to communicate is stronger than God. That can't be true. So I want you to understand this morning that if you struggle with prayer, it doesn't mean that you don't love God. It doesn't mean that you don't have faith. It just means that you need to practice the discipline of communicating with God. That's what we're going to do today. If you have your notes, you'll see that we're going to do that specifically in two ways. The first is we're going to talk some about theology, specifically the role of Jesus in our prayer life. And then you see the four blanks at the bottom of your notes page. We're going to talk about methods. We're going to talk about strategies. We're going to talk about paradigms for successful and effective praying. Because I want for us to leave here not just knowing about prayer, but having the tools to actually pray in your everyday life. So this is going to be helpful for those of us who have been walking with God for 20 plus years. This is going to be helpful for those of us who are maybe new to the Christian faith and are just kind of stepping out into the deep and saying, I want to have a conversation with the God who created the universe. I want to have a conversation with the God who intricately and wonderfully put me together in my mother's womb. I want to talk to that God. We're going to talk about how to do that today. The first I want for us to talk about Jesus, because Jesus is central to everything that we do at the fellowship, not by default, but by theological necessity. Jesus is central in the Christian life. The first thing I want for us to know about Jesus and prayer is that Jesus is the entry point into our prayer life. Jesus is the spot. Jesus is the destination. Jesus is the one, the being that gets us into effective prayer. Jesus is the entry point. You could say he's the gate. You could say he's the intersection of where prayer really begins. Jesus is the entry point to prayer because Jesus is the entry point into the kingdom of God. John chapter 14, verse 6. If you're making notes this morning, get your pen ready. 
We have so many scriptures to look at this morning. And the first is John chapter 14, verse 6. And I want to demonstrate for you this morning from the word of God that Jesus is in fact our entry point, not just to prayer, but into all things related to the kingdom of God. John chapter 14, verse 6. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now listen, these disciples are very confused at this point. And they're kind of in panic mode because they've been following Jesus for three years and he just dropped a bomb on them. He just said to them, listen, in a, in a little while, in just a few more moments, I'm going to actually be gone. You're going to be here by yourself. And, 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 and when I leave, I'm going to prepare a place for you to come to. And so these disciples are trying to process this information. We're 2,000 years on the other side of it, so we understand it a little bit better. But in that moment, Jesus had just said to his disciples that he's leaving. And they're, they're trying to get their brain around this. And Jesus says something really important for us to understand about the kingdom of God. In John chapter 14, verse 6, they're having a discussion about the pathway to get to heaven, to get to where it is that Jesus is going. And Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, this really, really important point. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Listen to this. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes an important declaration. No one, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care what your background is. I don't care what year you were born. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if Jesus is the entry point to the kingdom... Certainly then he's the entry point into our prayer life. Jesus is the entry point. If you're making notes, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. We are not reconciled to God the Father unless we are reconciled to him through Christ. God was reconciling the world to him in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Now, if you have ever wondered, why is it that at the end of every prayer, I always hear say, in Jesus' name, amen. It's for this reason. Because it is in Jesus that we have an audience with the Father. It is through Jesus that I have an opportunity to speak directly to the Lord. Why? Because Jesus himself is the Lord. So when we pray in Jesus' name, we are acknowledging that Jesus is the entry point to prayer. Not only is he the entry point, this next one blows my mind. He is our prayer partner. Jesus is our entry point to prayer, and Jesus is our prayer partner. Now, I'm about to say some things to you that get me really excited. And if I get excited up here and I start stomping and yelling and running, listen, this is amazing stuff. My Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, sits on the throne right now at this very moment, and the Word of God says He is making intercession for me. Jesus is my prayer partner. 
And Jesus is your prayer partner. Literally right now, Jesus is interceding on behalf of us. That's an incredible thought. I don't know if you've ever had a prayer partner before. I don't even, you may not know what a prayer partner is. Listen, let me tell you what a prayer partner is. A prayer partner is someone who reaches out to you and says, listen, I love you and I've been thinking about you. What are some specific ways that I can pray for you today? I'm talking about be specific with me. Tell me what's going on in your life so that I can go to the Father on your behalf. That's what a prayer partner does. I want you to know, thanks be to God, that Jesus intercedes for us. <laughs> the one who made the heavens and the earth is not only thinking about me right now, but in the throne room of heaven is making intercession for my life and yours. Now, even before that, even before the crucifixion and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension to where Jesus is sitting in the throne room, he was praying for me before that. In your, in your margin, would you write John chapter 17? This is before Jesus is crucified. He's praying. And one of the awesome realities about this prayer is that we get to peek in and see what Jesus was praying in the moments leading up to his arrest and his resurrection. And he prayed about specifically unity in the body of Christ. And he actually goes on and this is what he says. He says, Father, I am praying not only for my disciples in this moment, I'm praying for all who will become my disciples. Over 2,000 years ago, Jesus was on his knees being a prayer partner for you and for I. How awesome is that? We have a prayer partner in Jesus. He is our entry point. He is our prayer partner. John chapter 17. If you want some more scriptures to go back and look at later on, write down chapters, uh, write down Hebrews 7.25. This is what the word of God says. It says, therefore, he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Again, he's our prayer partner. Romans chapter 8, verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? Paul goes on to answer that question. No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. So as we think about winning with prayer today, when we think about firing failure in prayer, when we think about kicking it to the curb and living in this winning, effective, powerful prayer life, what do we know about Jesus? He's our entry point, he's our prayer partner, and he is our model. Now, when we think about Jesus modeling prayer, oftentimes our minds, if we grew up in the faith and if we've been in the kingdom of God, and if we've been at church and in Bible study for any period of time, it goes to the Lord's prayer. Our father who art in heaven, Jesus says, pray like this. And he models for the disciples on the content of prayer, which I think is awesome. I think it's great. But not only does Jesus model the content of prayer, he also models an attitude towards prayer. Mark chapter 1 verse 35 says this. 
very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, I lost some of you there. Some of you don't know what very early in the morning while it was still dark is. Listen, very early while it was still dark. And let me tell you something that even adds more meaning to this verse. Jesus had just been up half the night healing the sick and casting demons out of people. So well into the night, we're talking about 3 or 4 a.m., the ministry was over, and then it says, so then very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left, he went to a solitary place where he prayed. Attitude towards prayer. Essential. I'm willing to sacrifice for it. There's nothing more important than being in the presence of the Father. I don't care if it's a late night. I'm going to get up in the morning and I'm going to go seek the Father. Now, before guilt starts to set in on you, if that's not where you're at, okay, if you're a five snoozes type of person before you can get up and function in the world, listen, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty today, but I want for us to understand the centrality of Jesus Christ as it relates to our prayer life. He is our entry point. We don't have peace with God until we have peace with God through Jesus. We don't speak to the Father unless we speak to him through Jesus. He is our entry point. He is our prayer partner. And he is our model. So we've talked about the theology of prayer. We've talked about how central, how essential how necessary Christ is for us to win with prayer. And now what we're going to do is move from theology and we're going to talk about practical strategies that you, no matter how old you are right now, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter what is happening in your world right now, we're going to talk about a strategy that you can apply to your life and your prayer life can increase. We're going to do that by talking about four types of prayer. And the first type is adoration. Now, adoration is is simply a word that means to, to throw lavish praise upon God. To say, I adore God. To say, I love God. To worship him. To give praise to him. This is very similar to what we do when we sing worship songs. Now, if you're making notes this morning, I want to give you two scriptures that will coach us. So we're going to look at these scriptures. Then we're going to practice adoration individually, privately, and personally. And then we're going to practice adoration together as a corporate body. Psalm 103. This is what it says. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is in me. Bless the Lord, my soul, and don't forget his benefits, who forgives all of my sins and heals all of my diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Worship the Lord, O my soul. 
praise you, O God. That is adoration. It is not coming before God asking for things, although that's not bad. It is coming before him and just simply saying, God, you are magnificent. You are amazing. You are holy. You are set apart. I bless you with every fiber in my being. I give it as an expression of blessing to you, oh God. That is adoration. Now, that can be hard to do when life is tough. Now, let's be real. Because it's one thing to stand right here on this platform and talk about blessing God. But what about at home when you're living through hard news or hard circumstances or difficult things or difficult people or problems in finances or something coming up that you're worried about? It is more difficult to bless the Lord, oh my soul, when life is tough. I I acknowledge that. I want to share with you the second scripture that can coach us through that. Because the reality is, Christian people aren't immune from life. Christian people aren't exempt from difficult circumstances and situations in life. We're not exempt from the hard knocks of the world. And so what are we going to do? Are we going to refrain from adoration? Not according to Habakkuk. Habakkuk is in the Old Testament. And in the third chapter, Habakkuk chapter 3... There is this amazing statement. Let me share with you what's, what is said uh, in Habakkuk chapter 3. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. Here's what it says. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crops fail, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Now, that you may have a hard time connecting with that because you, you may not be a farmer or a rancher. That's not speaking your language, in other words. Let me summarize this for you. When your life is literally bankrupt, because when Habakkuk was written, it was written in a very... Uh, ranching and farming-minded group of people. Crops were very important to them on a daily basis. You may be saying, well, who cares if grapes don't grow? Or who cares where the cattle is at? Listen, Habakkuk is saying, when, when life has failed you, when you have nothing, when you've got nothing in the bank, And you've got no evidence that anything is coming in. And I don't just mean that financially, although I do mean it financially. It it can be anything in your life that has bankrupted you. It can be broken relationships today. It can be grief that's driving you to this point of despair. Listen, Habakkuk says, when everything has gone wrong, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Yet, I will be joyful 
in God my Savior. When everything on earth is going right, I will still adore my God. So I want to call a time out from teaching. I want to call a time out. I want to step out of preaching and teaching. And I just want for us to practice adoring God. So here, online, wherever you are right now, we're going to stop. And I'm going to give you some moments to bless the Lord. And you can do that right where you're at. To just give your praise to God, give your worship to God. And when we've done that, we're going to do it together. We're going to adore the Lord together. Rick is going to come and lead us in a song. And when he begins to sing, I want to invite you to stand and worship with us. We're going to praise the Lord together. But before we do that, would you just bow? And would you just adore the Lord? Would you just practice this first model of prayer? Would you embrace Psalm 103? Would you bless the Lord right where you're at for a few moments? Consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I see the stars, I hear the rolling thunder, thy power throughout the universe displayed. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. And when I think that God his Son not sparing sent him to die, I scarce can take it in that on the cross 
my burden gladly bearing. He bled and died to take away my sin. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. Then I shall bow with humble adoration, and there proclaim, My God, how great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art! How great Thou art! Amen. Amen. That is adoration. That is adoration. Please be seated. That is the first part of the strategy for prayer that we believe is going to help you win with prayer. Adoration. So when you fold your hands and you close your eyes and you bow your head and you're blank, you don't know, you don't know what to do, adore the Lord. Go and, and read Psalm 103. Read Habakkuk 3. Sing this song out to the Lord. Adore. Bless the Lord. Worship and praise God. That is how we can come into our prayer time. That's one of four. That's one of four types of prayer. The second type is what we call confession. So we have adoration and we have confession. Now may I just say to you this morning that if you struggle with pride or ego, what I'm about to say is going to be tough for you. Because confession is that moment with God where you express your limitations, your failures, who you are and who God is. And if this morning you're struggling to really understand what confession is or what it looks like, may I encourage you in your own time, in your time of devotion, in your prayer time, go back and read through Psalm 51. Because here is a document written by a king who had all authority 
over men and yet came into the presence of God and said some incredibly glorious things. He said things like, oh God, I have sinned against you. Now, can you imagine the king of a nation being humble enough to get uh, horizontal before God and say, God, I have sinned against you. He says, I have sinned against you. I have no excuse. I have transgression. I have guilt. And he says, God, I just need you to cleanse me. I need you to purify me, God. This is a king talking to God. Confession. It's uncomfortable for us to acknowledge that there's sin in our life sometime. In fact, as a culture, we're so uncomfortable with it that we try to erase the word, period. We don't, we don't even talk about sin in culture anymore. It doesn't exist. No, you just do what makes you feel happy. You just do what makes you feel good. It doesn't matter if it's rebellious against God. Just go and be happy in life. You see, we have normalized things that sin talks about, that scripture talks about is sin. So it doesn't surprise me then to, to understand that it's hard for us to come into the presence of God and confess our sin when we live in a culture that refuses to acknowledge that it exists. And can I just back up for a second and, and make the point that I'm not lodging complaints against our culture. Because the culture before that is the same way. It's just shades of severity. And I don't expect the world that doesn't have a relationship with God through Jesus to care about sin. I expect people who have the spirit of God living inside of them to care about sin. That's who should be sensitive to sin. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that people who don't know God live like people who don't know God. What surprises me is people who do know God to live like people who don't know God. That's a whole other thing you can imagine that I'm passionate about that and and, and I think that there's a place for us to discuss it. But the point that I'm making this morning is that confession is when we come before God and we say, God, no excuses, no justification. I'm wrong. And I have rebelled against you, God. And I need your grace and your mercy in my life. Now, some of us are comfortable doing that. And there's people here this morning who came into this worship center and they've done that even this morning. They've said, you know what, God? I turn from everything that offends you, everything that's rebellious in me, and I want to have a strong fellowship with you. And, and those people have a tendency to think, so I don't need confession. Wrong. You do. Because when we have confessed our sin... Our need for confession doesn't stop there. What we need as, as human beings is to come into the presence of God and adore him and then confess to him either our sin or our humanness. We need to come before God and say, God, I'm just a human and I don't see any sin in my life, and yet here I am 
confessing to you that I have limitations and I have temptations and I have desires. I'm just a human God and I need you. Oh Lord, how I need you right now. Not because there's sin in my life, but because I'm a human being and human beings desperately need God. We need to get good at confession. Even when we've confessed our sin to God, there's more to confess. I'm human. I need you, God. There's a a beauty in confession going beyond sin into our humanness and our needs. There's a beauty in that. There's a spiritual maturity and being able to say, I don't think I have any more sin to confess, God, but let me just confess some things that aren't sinful. I need you. I'm a human. You made me a human. I'm not God. I don't want to be you, God. I'm just confessing that I need you. And one more word on confession before we practice it, like we practice adoration. You don't need another human to confess to God. What I mean by that is, is that as God speaks to you today, you don't have to call me this afternoon and say, uh, hey, Pastor Zach, you know, I do need confession. Can I stop by your office tomorrow? You don't, you don't have to come to my office. Remember what we said? Look back up, if you would, at that first point that we made this morning. Jesus Christ is our entry point. You don't need Pastor Zach. You've got Jesus. Now, I'll pray with you. Please don't hear me pushing you aside. No, I'm not doing that. But the point that I'm making is you don't need another human being to get right with God. There is no man or woman that stands between you and right with God. It's through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. And it's always been through Jesus. Jesus is our key into the kingdom. Jesus is our key to be reconciled with God. Jesus is our key to having a strong fellowship. Listen, I want to be in your life. I want to pray with you. I want to talk with you about the areas that you're struggling. But you don't need me to get right with God. So let's practice confession. Just like we practice with adoration, we're going to go into a season of just personal prayer. Would you take some time just to kind of refocus your heart on the Lord and, and, and in your mind answer this question, do I need to confess sin or do I need to come before God and just confess my humanness? Because there's nobody here that won't benefit from a season of confession. We've adored God. We've blessed the Lord together. We've worshiped him together. Now we're going to that second part of prayer, confession. Would you do that right where you are? Would you bow? Would you just spend some time with God in confession? And then we'll worship the Lord together before we move on to the third morning 
whether or not there's sin that you need to confess to God. Ask him. He'll meet you in your prayer. sense that you've come to a conclusion personally, then we invite you to stand and worship with us. But if you need to continue where you are in praying, please do that. But we're going to worship together. We're going to confess together our need for the Lord. And so as you're ready, we invite you to stand up and worship with us.
And we have practiced confession. Mm. You may be seated as we continue to the third type of prayer. Now, if you'll remember, we started by talking about the reason for this experience this morning, this type of worship service is so that we can win with prayer because we, we don't want to continue with the sense that I love God, but I fail in my prayer life. So we've discussed. Then let's make sure that we're adoring God. Let's make sure that we're confessing to God. Some of us, we need to confess our sin. Some of us, we just simply need to confess what, just Kate, what Caitlin just led us through. Oh God, how I need you. Every hour, I need you. Why? Well, just because I'm a human and I need God. On my good days, I need God. On my bad days, I need God. I just need you. That's confession. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. Making the leap from feeling thankful for what God has done in your life to actually saying thank you to God for what he's done in your life. Now, those are different. They're similar, but they're different. One is an emotion. One is a feeling. One is thinking to yourself, God has been good to me. I'm so thankful. 
I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful. Feeling that and then saying, God, thank you. You see, it's a difference. There's a difference there. And thanksgiving is the third type of prayer that I would like for us to not only learn about today, but to make a decision to apply this type of praying in our life, thanksgiving. Now, I encourage you to go back and look in the Bible for all the places that it talks about giving thanks to God, but so that we can kind of orient ourselves scripturally this morning as we talk about thanksgiving. In your notes, in your margin, would you put down Psalm 100? Psalm 100 gives us this great and glorious picture of what it means to approach God. And the psalmist, it's almost as though he's saying, listen, when you are going to go into the presence of God, I want to give you some advice on how to do that. And so he says in Psalm 100 verse 1, enter his gates with thanksgiving, enter his courts with praise, give thanks to him and praise him. Why? Because he's good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues throughout all generations. Our thankfulness is fueled, is, is, is promoted, is motivated by who God is and what he's done. Our thanksgiving to God is about who he is and what he's done. When my daughter Hannah was about five years old, she started to love to pray. And she still loves to pray. She's a great at praying. But when she was five, her prayer life both annoyed me and convicted me. I want to tell you why. Because we always asked her to pray at mealtime, and she prayed forever. Have you ever been in that situation? I mean, I don't know what I'm supposed to tell jokes about prayer, but have you ever been there? Like, if you've been there, you understand what I'm saying. You're hungry. You're on the cusp of hangry. Well, you're so hungry that you're mad. And you have this beautiful five-year-old that just can't wait to pray. How can you tell her no? Okay, Hannah, would you like to give thanks? Yes, I would. She folds her hands. She closes her eyes. Dear Heavenly Father. And she begins to thank God for everything she's ever seen in her life. <laughs> everything. God, I thank you for my teachers. I thank you for my church and my pastor. I thank you for my food and my water. I thank you for my mom and my dad and my brother. I thank you for the carpet and the windows and my dog. Everything she's thanking God for. And I'm just, I'm having a dual thought. I'm thinking God is, is rejoicing in heaven. Like he's singing over my five-year-old daughter with this innocent prayer. And he, and like, I feel like I need to slip back into confession <laughs> because I'm not thinking proper thoughts in this moment. But how I want that perspective, God, I'm just, I just want to tell you thanks for all the things in my life. Thank you for the carpet, God. 
Thank you for the windows to look out and see your glorious creation. Thank you, God. Just and, and what's so awesome about it is that Hannah could literally pray for hours giving thanks. And here we are having a hard time finding three things to thank God for. Well, isn't it like God used a kid to convict your heart? And that's that, I think, is something that if you want to win with prayer... Get good at thanking God. You know, there's a passage in Scripture, Luke chapter 17. I want to share this with you this morning because it talks about the way that Jesus pays attention to thankful people. Not that he doesn't pay attention to everybody. Please hear me. Not that he doesn't pay attention to everybody. But there's this beautiful moment in the Gospels where Jesus is traveling and he's on his way to Jerusalem. And the scripture says he's about to get to the city gate. Let me just share it with you. This is in Luke chapter 17. If you want to go back and look at it later on. It says, now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now understand that was like a border of tension. Galileans didn't get along with Samaritans, vice versa. They didn't like each other. They really didn't act, interact with each other. There was a lot of tension there, Okay. As he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy, if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a skin disease, highly contagious. It was understood to be highly contagious. And when you had leprosy, you not only were physically ill, but you also were spiritually considered unclean. Now, these 10 men with leprosy, uh, they stood at a distance and they called out with a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. Now they're doing things right. They've stood at a distance. They've called out to Jesus. Theologically, they're getting it right. Jesus, master, uh, they're, they're making a request to the right person. Jesus, master, have pity on us. And now when Jesus saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. That strike you as interesting? As they began to obey Jesus, they were cleansed. It doesn't say they were cleansed and then they went. It says as they went, they were cleansed. That's a whole nother sermon, right? But, but notice what's going on. These, these men who have leprosy are calling out to Jesus. Jesus responds to them. One of them, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him and he was a Samaritan. Now it mentions that the fact that he's a Samaritan to illuminate and highlight the fact that this wasn't a Jewish person coming back to give thanks to Jesus. In fact, Jesus is about to use the phrase a foreigner because there's so much tension there. And so Jesus goes on and says, we're not all 10 cleansed. We're the other nine. Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise up and go. Your faith has made you well. Now, I just want for you to understand a couple of things about giving God thanksgiving. First of all, I want you to see the passion in this man who returned. It wasn't casual. It wasn't nonchalant. It wasn't a text. Hey, Jesus, thanks, man. He came back. 
And he came back with passion. He fell at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And there was only one of them. How many were healed? Ten. How many came back? One. The line to give thanks to God is short. The line to ask him for things is not wrong to be in, but it's long. Ten came. Ten were healed. One came back. Now what does that tell you? If I want to win with prayer, I want to get good at coming back with passion and laying at the feet of Jesus and saying, thank you for what you have already done in my life. Thank you for my teachers. Thank you for my family. Thank you for my food. Thank you for my water. Thank you for my friendship. Thank you for the carpet. Thank you for the windows. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Bible. Thank you for your critique and your rebuke. Thank you for everything in my life. Thank you. If you want to win with prayer, learn how to make the leap from feeling thankful to giving thanks. Let's practice that. We're going to practice giving God thanks again, just like we practiced adoration, just like we practiced confession. We are going to pause and give you moments between you and God to express your thanks to him. And once we've done that, then we'll have the opportunity to stand and worship the Lord together again with a song that begins by saying, thank you for the cross, Lord. We're going to thank God together. But first, let's thank him as individuals. Would you bow with me? Would you pray with me this morning? Would you spend some time between you and the Lord? And you're online with us this morning, and we welcome you, and we encourage you to do the same. Take some time and express thanks to God. Maybe you think thankfully. Maybe you feel thankfully. But would you say it to the Lord? Give thanks to God. Be that one that returns. Come with passion. Come with thanksgiving.
a moment, we are going to worship together. We'll stand and sing. But you may just be getting started in your prayer time with the Lord. You may be on number 10 of a thousand that you want to say thanks to God for, and that's fine. This time that we're entering into is a time of either worship or giving thanks to God privately, and so we invite those of you who are ready to stand with us. But if you're still in a moment between you and God, feel total freedom to hold that moment and to continue giving thanks. That might be the most important thing that you do today. We don't want to rush you through it. But if you are ready, would you stand and would you sing a word of thanks for the cross, for all of God's goodness in our life.
So you sense the pattern. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving. And if you'll be seated, we'll talk about that fourth part or piece of our strategy in winning with prayer. The word is supplication. But may I say to you, if you struggle with understanding what that means, it means the point in the prayer where you ask the Lord for things, where you ask God for stuff. Now, I want to be clear with you. It's not wrong to make supplication. There are hundreds of points in the scripture, hundreds of examples of people making supplication to the Lord for all types of things. Sometimes they need wisdom. Sometimes there's a big decision to be made. Sometimes there's an important step that needs to be made. And they are making supplication for God to give heavenly wisdom. Sometimes, we've mentioned it already, sometimes it's financial. God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I need you to come through. Sometimes it has to do with conflict in relationships. Sometimes it's to know, do I need to take a step forward in a relationship? There are all types of reasons that we would make supplication before the Lord. I want to make a couple of comments about this one before we close our time together with yet again practicing what we're learning. The first thing that I want to say to you about supplication is after you have journeyed through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, what I have discovered is that your list of needs and wants begins to shrink. Just being in the presence of God shrinks the list of things that you want to ask God for. Now, it doesn't make them go away because there are legitimate needs that you have. And there are things that you want, and you want to ask God for them. And that's okay. But as I spend time in the presence of God with adoration and confession and thanksgiving, I suddenly get to the end where I'm going to ask God for stuff. And sometimes I just say, you know what, God? Never mind. I just wanted to be with you. I don't need to ask you for anything. Sometimes my list is still there. So I'm not saying there's a right or wrong. I'm just saying to you that the more time that you spend in prayer with God, the less stuff you will sense that you need. There's an old song that we sang in church growing up. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glorious face or is it glory and grace whatever it is doesn't matter the point is when we behold Jesus the stuff around us tends to fade there's still important things there's still important matters And we have to get rid of this notion that I should be embarrassed or shamed if there's stuff that I need to ask God for. Listen, it is natural for us to need to ask God for things. And I know several weeks back I talked about the fact that we can't treat God like our own personal genie 
where when we just want God to do something for us, we pull him out of the closet and say, hey, God, it's good to talk to you. Haven't seen you in a while. Listen, while you're here, let me get you to do something for me, okay? I would appreciate it if you could do this for me, not just uh, soon, but like now. Okay, God, go back to the closet and I'll call for you when I need you again. God is not our personal genie. And when we have gone through adoration, confession, thanksgiving, then let's ask him for things. And so there's this balance at play between jumping right to just making demands of God or making requests of God and approaching him with love, with honor, and asking him for the things that you need. Don't be embarrassed to have needs and to seek God about those needs. It's very healthy. You wouldn't expect a child to raise themselves. You would expect that child to go and ask their parent or their guardian for food, for protection, for guidance, for comfort, for all the needs that a child has. It is the same with God. Now, you would be, wouldn't you? You would be uh, a little annoyed if the only time your child ever spoke to you was to ask you for stuff. But there's a difference. But what's common is asking God to meet your need. And when you have gone through this season of prayer, this paradigm, this strategy of prayer, you have blessed the Lord, O oh my soul. You have confessed your sin and your humanness. You have given thanks to God for his goodness, all of the things that he's already done for you. Make known to God what you need. It is healthy, it is important, and it reminds us that although we're smart and strong and wise and able, there's never a season that we don't need God. Supplication is an important component to winning with prayer. And so we're going to close our time this morning by practicing. What are your needs? All the categories that we've looked at today, we've talked about wisdom, we've talked about finances, we've talked about relationships. For those of you who are in a marriage relationship, what needs do you have in your marriage relationship? Did you know that the needs that you have in your marriage relationship are perfect things to bring to God in prayer and supplication? Maybe you're not here. Uh, maybe you're here and you're not married. I said that backwards, didn't I? Maybe you're not here. You are here, Pete. Maybe you're here and you're not married. And you want to take that desire, that need to God. Maybe you're here and you're not thinking about that at all. You're thinking about the test that you have coming up because school just started and your new exam is coming. That is a perfect thing to take to God in prayer. Listen, we've been through this whole season of prayer, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. And you may be thinking to yourself, do I have to carry this in my pocket everywhere I go? It looks so good, but how do I remember this? This is a long 
standing strategy for prayer. And I'm going to help you remember it. Would you look at the first letter of each of these four words? It spells the word acts. This is the acts model of prayer. If you can remember the word acts, you can remember this prayer. You can pray it in the morning. You can pray it at lunchtime. You can use it in the evening. You can use it all throughout the day. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. We close with this question. What do you need to make supplication for? I want for us to close that way. We're going to practice supplication, and then we'll close with the blessing. Would you stand where you are this morning? And right where you stand, right where you bow, would you feel the freedom to go into God's presence? without embarrassment, without shame, and say, God, I have needs. This is what I need. Lord, Father, God. I need you to meet these needs, Lord. Go into the presence of the Father. Make supplication. Ask him to meet your relational needs. Ask him to meet your financial needs. Your needs for guidance. would you take just a moment to make supplication to God on behalf of someone close to you right now? Just take a few moments and pray for a person that's near to you. Father, we want to win in prayer because we want to have the strongest relationship with you that we can possibly have. And we know that our struggles with prayer in the past isn't because we don't love you. It's just because we need to practice communication. And so we desire to do that. We bless you, Lord. We adore you. We confess, Lord, that we need you. We express our thanks for all of your goodness in our life. And we pray for our needs. We lay them before you as a trusting child lays his or her needs before a trusted parent. We trust you to meet the need. We trust that you won't shame us when we come asking We trust that you embrace us in your arms, not just in a season of adoration or thanksgiving, but in a season of supplication. We believe that you welcome us 
into your presence. Lord, we want to win with prayer because we want to walk deeply with you. And we thank you for the morning that you have given us to practice this model of prayer. We confess that you are, Jesus, the entry point. And that is why we pray this prayer and all prayers in your name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.